I'm never going to apologize for winning. Breaks a tackle. Now oh, another. He's oh. inside the five. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. He is sacked. Down he goes. Tyler Hoover breaks away from one tackle. He's at the 20, the 15, the 10. He's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. You're listening to Impact Sports Radio. This is Spartan Red Zone with your host, Dan Tyler. All right, what's going on, Spartan Nation? You're listening to the Spartan Red Zone. As always, with your boy, Dan Tyler. The Spartans have a colossal matchup this Saturday, traveling to Eugene, Oregon, taking on the number three ranked Oregon Ducks. And here to break us here to help us break down, excuse me, this top ten battle is Ryan Roulard, sports director and host of the show Quack Smack at KWVA Radio on Oregon's campus. Ryan, how are you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for being on the show, first of all. Huge matchup between our two teams on Saturday. Oh, absolutely. It's great. I mean, the, I'm sure we'll talk about the vibe over in East Lansing, but at least from, from this side of things, the vibe here in Eugene has been great. Game day has been setting up. Uh, even though the students actually aren't back in class for another three or four weeks, I think a lot of them are coming back just for this game because that's how big it is. So, well, let's go back to that for a second really quick. You said the students aren't back in class yet? We, so we're on a quarter system here, so we actually don't get going until the end of September. And so, yeah, it's it's a little bit quieter here than normal. During a, a game week with classes in session, this place would really be buzzing. But like I said, even without it, you can just feel the vibe in Eugene right now, not only from students but from the general public, and that uh, this is a big matchup. A lot of the students here at UO are from either in this state or from nearby in, in Northern California or something like that. So I'd be very shocked if the student section still wasn't full tomorrow. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. You know, that's something I didn't know about Oregon. I didn't know that you guys got started so late. So that's got to be a little bit weird, you know, with football starting so early, but class starts a few weeks later. But, hey, you know, like you said, with game day being in town on Saturday, it's such a huge matchup, especially this season with the new playoff system going on. I'm sure you guys are going to have no struggles filling up that student section. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a great time as always here at Austin. And uh, I know we'll talk about the environment more later. But uh, like I say, this place is going to be full. The students that do make the trip up are going to really enjoy it. I know tickets were really hard to get, so I'd imagine that uh, plenty of people are going to make the trek up to Eugene a little bit early just to get this one in. Oh, and I'm sure they will, and that's what we hope too. You know, It's good to get the team in a, in a tough environment like that. Autzen Stadium is always rocking, and you know, it's kind of like it feels like one of those preseason playoff-type games. You know, it's gonna, It sounds like it's supposed to be a real playoff-type atmosphere, so both teams definitely should be benefiting from you know the environment and just the everything going on around the game should be great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Austin Stadium is uh, is definitely up there. I mean, I, I haven't necessarily seen too much of the college football landscape in terms of other environments, but uh, from what I have seen, this place is pretty impressive, especially given that it only holds about 54, 55,000, and, and they'll pack it with a bunch of standing room tomorrow as well. But uh, this place is going to get its 98th consecutive salad unless something happens oddly tomorrow. So, uh, it just tells you what kind of support is here for the Ducks. Uh, the place gets rocking. They're all on top of you. Uh, and if you're not careful, the you know, opponents are sometimes subject to, to really getting lost in it because it can be a tough environment to play, and that's for sure. Yeah, you know, and we'll we'll see we'll see how Michigan State's going to react to it. But just getting into the meat of things really quick. Obviously, with such a huge matchup, this game is getting a lot of national attention, and, and they've been talking about it on places like ESPN, NBC Sports, Fox Sports, all week long. And... 
you know, the big thing that everybody talks about is how Michigan State's tough stellar defense is going to stop Oregon's fast-paced and flashy offense. And with that, people are bringing up the comparisons between Michigan State and Stanford a lot, obviously, with Stanford kind of taking control over the last couple years against Oregon in what has normally been an Oregon-dominated rivalry, and then Michigan State beating Stanford. But, you know, that was last season. This is a whole new season. How do you think Oregon is adapting to everybody comparing Michigan State to Stanford? And do you think they're going to be changing their game plan up a little bit due to that? Well, as far as the comparisons go, at least from the, the public perspective, the decks are trying to shy away from as many Stanford comparisons as possible. Uh, Mark Helfrich, the head coach here in Eugene, has really put that down from the beginning. He's tried to put that flame out and said that uh, Michigan State, he said on Tuesday, is probably different than any team they see in the Pac-12. It's just a whole different animal. So he's not trying to make too many Stanford comparisons. I see enough of it, though. I mean, you're looking at some big uh, smash-mouth football, essentially, and that's what has caused Oregon trouble in the past, especially these last two years against Stanford, and truly the last year against Stanford, that was the real one. I mean, the two years ago, the loss was a close one, and just uh, where execution perhaps became the, the real impact, a couple of missed executed plays, but uh, last year was really a smash-mouth football that got them. So I'm curious to see. I think for Oregon, the, the big interest is going to be, first of all, how much they turn to the run to begin with, and, and secondly, how much – uh, they stay with it if it's struggling. I think that's been the thing in the past where they, especially last year at Stanford, they would get uh, a little bit too hung up on trying to continue running the ball. And, and when it's struggling, at some point you just have to air it out. When you have a quarterback like Marcus Mariota, that's not necessarily a bad plan B. So I'm curious to see kind of how long they commit to the run. Maybe they find a way through this time. I'm not sure. But if they don't, uh, it'll be interesting to see how long they stay with it before they just go with an air attack. Yeah, absolutely. And And I think that, especially against a team like Michigan State, that's something where if I were trying to be calling the game for Oregon, I would want to attack the air pretty early and often to start off the game. Um, you know, Michigan State has a pretty great lockdown corner and Trey Wayne's on one side. But on the other side, we have sophomore Darian Hicks, who, you know, was a little bit shaky to start his first game and, and Jacksonville State was kind of picking on him a little bit and he gave up a couple, couple big plays. So I would be surprised to see if... They didn't flash Mariota's arm a little bit and try to test Darian Hicks to see how he's feeling in his first big game ever. You know, he had some pregame jitters, it looked like last week, appeared to settle in really quick, but obviously there's no need to say that there's a gigantic leap from playing against Jacksonville State to playing against Oregon. Um, and Michigan State's run defense is, is as stellar as everywhere as ever, so I, I'd be surprised to not see Mariota in that offensive attack of Oregon's to, to hit the air early just to kind of test out this new secondary that Michigan State has, see if it's still the same no-fly zone as last year. Um, yeah, well, the interesting thing, too, is going to be to see how Oregon's receivers stack up because this is a group this year that, that doesn't quite have the flash, especially uh, losing Braylon Addison to an ACL injury, at least for the first half of this year, so he is not expected to play tomorrow. It's a very talented group from everything we hear, but it's a very inexperienced group as well. A lot of redshirt guys are – a lot of guys new to campus or, or just don't have a lot of playing experience, whether it be injury, whatever it may be. And so it's a deep group. They're certainly considering themselves, I think, one of the, the deepest groups of the receiving core they've had in a while here in Eugene. But I'm curious to see how they stack up as well. And, and against the physical Michigan State defense and, and all that, the receivers have been pretty confident in talking to them this week, but that's kind of what you expect from the public eye. So I'm curious to see how they go with it because 
if they can't get the, the game going, then it becomes a real offensive struggle for the Ducks, assuming they have trouble getting through that Michigan State run defense. And and let's talk about these receivers really quick, because like you said, obviously losing Braylon Addison in the offseason was, was a huge hit. And, and, you know, looking at the depth chart a little bit, other than uh, other than Keenan Lowe, it's it's a lot of younger guys and stuff. So how do you think that they'll be able to to handle and adapt Michigan State and Pat Narduzzi's press coverage scheme? Because it's really you know in your face football. It's not a type of style that you see game in game out. And you know they're just younger guys who might not be used to that. So so how do you think that they're going to react? And and how do you think the play calling is going to try to help maneuver them around this kind of defense? Well, like I said, I talked to them earlier this week, and they seem pretty confident. I think they like their chances, uh, especially in man coverage. They feel like their speed can win. And you know what? It's probably true in a lot of cases. You have a track champion in Devin Allen at one starting receiver position. Dwayne Stanford's another very fast guy. Of all guys, Keenan Lowe is actually more of the leader. He doesn't necessarily see as many catches, but he's one of those guys that kind of quietly leads. He also is a big blocker. That's that's a lot of what they preach on this Oregon offensive side, that you, you kind of do everything. The receiver's will constantly be blocking downfield, and it's something they take pride in. It's not uh, just let your one teammate go and, and let him have his show. It's that everybody pitches in on it, and I think for them, they know that's going to be a big key this week is not only to use that speed to get into space and get themselves some, some separation, but once they get that separation, get those other receivers with them and use them as blockers and try to set up these big plays because with Oregon, a lot of it is about the big plays. They had a couple last week, the biggest one, a 62-yard uh, air attack on a touchdown to Dwayne Stanford, but they can get those big plays in a hurry if you're not careful. And that's the thing that I know Michigan State's going to be wary of, but if these Ducks can, can get that speed out there, you can get a little bit of separation against that Michigan State secondary. You could be looking at a couple big plays in the air. Yeah, and, and that's, a big, that's a big risk for Michigan State, like you said, going forward, because when you do play so up in a receiver's face and physical, you run the risk of getting burnt on a big play like that. And I think there is arguably no more dangerous team in the nation in terms of getting burnt on a big play than Oregon with, like you said, that kind of speed that they have in the scheme that they run, getting those fast guys out in space. So it'll be interesting to see how Michigan State's corners and their secondary comes to play because, you know, they have solid speed on it, but the speed advantage would definitely go to Oregon in this matchup. So if they're not careful, they can let up some of those big plays and those big plays pile up and lead to a lot of points. And in a shootout, although Michigan State's offense is greatly improved, Oregon's going to be winning this game if it's a shootout. So that's something that Michigan State's secondary definitely has to be very wary of. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about even if it's not a shootout, I'm not sure it will be. But just what in a game like this where, where every possession is going to matter, it could just be a couple big plays that define it. And I'm not going to say that Michigan State can't come up with a couple big plays on offense uh, of their own. But for Oregon, that's kind of what they live by. And, uh, they're certainly not going to grind it out necessarily. They will if they have to, but this is a team that uh, that still fascinates me. Their longest scoring drive of the year last year was under five minutes. It was about 4.55. That just tells you how fast they go. They had two scoring drives last year of four minutes or more all year, and, and that's just what they do. A lot of under two-minute drives, they move quickly, and if you're, if you're not able to keep up and if you're not looking at, and it's paying attention at all times, you're going to get burnt. So I feel like they're going to take a couple early shots. They're going to go downfield early to try to establish that momentum catch Michigan State off guard, and really uh, try to throw as many wrenches into the MSU defense as they can. But with a defense like that on the other side, that's not going to be easy. Yeah, definitely. And, and that, I think, is one of the obviously on paper most important matchups. So moving on from those receivers a little bit, 
to the running backs, which I think is a great strength of your program. You know, you have guys like Byron Marshall, who's been there for a few years, had a pretty big game last week. Thomas Tyner showing up with a, a very unique blend of size and speed, which is dangerous going up against any kind of defense. And, and even the freshman Royce Freeman got in a little bit. Um, tell me about how you think this unit is going to be able to play against one of, or what was one of the toughest run defenses last season. Well, there's a lot of optimism around this Oregon running back uh, trio, I guess, if you want to call it. They're still actually listed as ORs all the, all the way down the depth chart, Thomas Tyner or Byron Marshall or Royce Freeman, which is maybe a little misleading. I'm not sure quite how much they, they consider themselves in a the three-way tie. But Marshall was the intriguing one last week because nobody really had seen him in the slot before, and that's where they actually put him a lot. They used him kind of as a hybrid running back and receiver, and he saw a lot of time in the slot, had a couple big catches, a couple of those for touchdowns, I think he totaled about 175 total yards between the ground and the air. And uh, on the other side, you look at Tyner, who's probably one of the faster running backs in that trio. And then Freeman, there's a lot of hype around him. I mean, this coaching staff doesn't typically hype up a player as much as they did in the fall before he plays his first game. But Freeman got a lot of that. He's a big kid, true freshman, and he showed it. I mean, he didn't get a ton of time last week against South Dakota, but when he was in there, you could just see he's that physical type of back, and that might be what Oregon needs. So, I can see Freeman probably of those three actually being the, the most used running back, at least out of the backfield. Like I say, Marshall could go into the slot a little bit more, but Freeman Freeman's one of those tough runners. He'll put his head down. He didn't look afraid in his first game, that's for sure, and uh, he's a very composed young man. I, I could easily see him being the focal point in that backfield this weekend. Yeah, and, and, and you definitely need a guy like that who's not going to be afraid to, to fight for those three, four-yard gains when you're going up against Michigan State's defense because they're just going to try to close up every single hole and make you fight for every yard and, and you know you need to be you need to be a physical guy to be able to go up against that and it sounds like you guys have some players that are able to do that uh, especially throwing a little wrench into the system putting Marshall like you said out into the slot and letting him flash around there with his speed so it's gonna be interesting to see how they utilize those three guys how they how they juggle them giving them different t- kind of snaps and different kinds of looks so you know it, it's just another Tough matchup, you know, nothing that Michigan State's really ever seen before. They've they've compared it to teams like Ohio State and Nebraska, but, you know, the way that your offense operates, it's just on a whole new level. I don't think you can really compare it to another school in the nation. Well, that's the hard thing, too, is that, yeah, you're trying to get that speed in, in practice sessions. I know Oregon's kind of said the same thing about trying to replicate the, the big size of Michigan State on defense in its practice, but it's the same thing the other way around in a different way is that, you can only replicate speed so much with your scout team, and you know you can get ready for it. And it's one thing, but to actually get out there and be hustling to the line of scrimmage after every play within 10 to 15 seconds and ready to get that snap off again, especially and we haven't talked about this yet, but it's supposed to be hot here this weekend, and I'm I'm really curious to see what that does to the defenses, especially for MSU, because when you are playing in what's expected to be 95 to 100 degree temperatures, uh, I'm not I I don't believe either of these teams are really used to that at this time of year. We'll see how that plays into it because Oregon's a little bit built for this. They've been practicing all fall in basically 80s and 90s, and, and this offense knows how to go. But I'm curious to see how the Spartans' defense responds and, and can try to withstand that heat and, and continue to get to the line because it's hard enough to play against this Oregon offense in, in normal temperatures. But uh, when it's smoking hot, that's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to be just another reason why Michigan State, is their offense is going to need to go out there and be able to handle the the time of possession game well and and really be able to eat up some of that clock. 
But really quickly, before we get to that, you know, obviously everyone knows what Marcus Mariota can do. Uh, looked like he was on his way to being a strong Heisman contender before getting a little banged up at the end of last season. Would have likely been the first pick in the NFL draft. It's hard to say with, with how things always shake up, but he was looking like it. Decided to come back another year. Obviously, he's a great player. But let's talk about the offensive line a little bit. Um, I know your center, correct me if I'm wrong on the pronunciation, but Ronis Grasu, is that yep. how you say it? It's not bad. Okay, he's you know, arguably the best center in the nation, and he's going to be able to, to call out what kind of looks that Michigan State's coming with on defense as well as protecting his quarterback. But there's been a couple, there's been an injury or two on, on the offensive line. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, they lost uh, Tyler Johnstone to an ACL here in the uh, in the fall camp again. So a couple ACLs have been biting this squad. But uh, like you mentioned, Grosso has been kind of the leader of that uh, offensive line. And actually, when Marcus Mariota announced that he would be coming back this year to Eugene, he and Grosso actually did it together. And that's, I guess, a little bit symbolic of kind of how they, they want to be, if they want to be this kind of unit. And I think those two have a lot of respect for each other. And this line... I'm not. They're they're a talented line. Even when you lose Tyler Johnstone, I mean, there are some younger guys, a little bit more inexperienced guys on the line this year. Grossi really being the the one guy that's been around for a while. But for the most part, this is a line that's still going to to be able to hold its own. I think. Now, I'm not sure what that'll look like against a talented front like Michigan State's. But uh, this is a group that certainly doesn't get pushed around. They they pave a lot of holes. I mean, they got uh, the Ducks. I think 7.7 yards per rush last week. That, that's what they were doing on the line, and they protect Mariota a lot. And, and when they don't, the beauty of Mariota and what makes him partially so talented is that he, he's not only calm under pressure, but he improvises well. He can roll out a lot, something I see in Connor Cook as well when I look at the film on him. But Mariota, you can just you, – you never see the panic in his eyes, I guess, if that makes sense. He just – he seems calm at all times. He, he knows how to find something uh, successful, and very rarely do you see him take a loss on a play or get sacked or something like that. Uh, and a lot of that credit goes to his offensive line. A lot of that to him as well, though. And he's just a talented guy. Uh, he distributes the ball well. One of the things they do a lot, and I'm curious to see how Michigan State responds, is they run the fakes really well. Mariota does a nice job of kind of keeping that ball as long as he can, so to say, in, in the fake before he either pulls it or hands it off. And that can be a tough thing for defenses to react to sometimes. I mean, there will be a lot of times when when he walks in untouched, almost unnoticed, because he ran the fake so well. and. He has the entire defense selling out on the running back who has nothing in his hand. And Mariota, meanwhile, is cruising into the back of the end zone, uh, not even being looked at. And so he, he runs a lot of things well. There's a reason he's a Heisman uh, candidate, maybe even a front runner. I think fair to say at this point. And I'm really curious to see what he does this weekend. I mean, this is certainly not the first big stage he's been on. I don't think he's going to overdo it. I think he's going to stay calm under the pressure of the game. He'll stay calm under the pressure of the MSU defense. But uh, like we talked about earlier, he's going to have to find his receivers out there, and he's going to have to try to establish a running game. And where he can, I think he's going to have to run it as well to try to make something happen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he has that, what do they call it, the Hawaiian chill factor to him. <laughs> so there's, uh, there's, no way, there's no way you're going to really rattle this guy. He's, like you said, he's been on the big stage, and he's been on the big stage when he was younger than this. You know, He's a veteran at this point. Um, with running this offense and in terms of playing it in, in big time, high level, high stakes games, so he's gonna he's gonna get his. Most most Michigan State fans are going in this game knowing that Mariota is gonna do Mariota. It's about trying to limit some of the other guys 
And, and like you said, when he runs that read option, that was what I was most impressed with him, actually, when I was looking back and watching some some previous games of his. is He, he really does, just like you said. You said it perfectly. He holds on to that ball until the last second, and if a defense bites too early and, and isn't isn't patient enough and doesn't doesn't stay in their reads enough, you can get burnt either by the running back or by Mariota, and that is exactly what Michigan State can't do. I think they're they're well disciplined defense. Obviously, they just got to make sure they're not too excited because you know that Mariota's coming into this game. He's going to be calm. He's going to be cool. He's going to be collected, and he knows what he has to do. So if, if Michigan State's defense can come in with the same mentality, kind of take a deep breath, let the play develop before getting a little too jumpy, you know, we'll see. Then then I think that's when Michigan State has a chance to to kind of slow down this offense. But, you know, certainly it's going to be a tough matchup, uh, one of the toughest offenses in the nation to slow down. So that, that'll be interesting to watch how, how what do they say, the uh, unstoppable force meets an immovable object. So I think that's that's kind of how it's about to go down on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just gonna be fun to watch. I think obviously there are other matchups in this game that'll be interesting as well. But that's obviously the headliner, and it's gonna be fun. I, I'm really curious to see. Like I said, I think the heat will play a factor. I'd be a little more curious to watch this game in maybe 60 or 70 degrees and and see a Michigan State not being completely wiped out the heat, keep up a little bit more on defense. And that's not to say they won't in this 90 to 100 degree heat, but uh, I certainly feel like that's going to pose them a disadvantage more than they're already going to deal with with that Blair offense. Oh, I mean, trust me, being a native Michigander, we're not used to that kind of heat, man. If if uh, you guys were coming in town to East Lansing in, say, November or something, that would kind of be like the opposite dynamic of how it is because that's what we're used to, you know, that cold, gritty weather. But that heat, it's not exactly – not exactly what Spartans are used to playing and so like you said it will be interesting to see how they how they adjust to that they're definitely going to have to cycle out people and show off some depth and we're really going to see if some of these number two guys are going to be able to step in and give the number ones a rest because you know they're going to need to get water they're going to need to get a breather especially with the speed of this offense so that's really going to be important the depth of Michigan State's defense is going to be on display and you know, we'll see how some of those backup guys can do in this game because they're going to need to come up big. But moving on from, obviously, the big-time matchup, Oregon's offense versus Michigan State's defense, something that isn't really talked about is the other side of the ball. You know, Michigan State has to play offense and Oregon has to play defense, obviously. And looking at your guys' defense, I think it's pretty underrated. I think it's overshadowed a lot by your flashy and, and high-powered offense. But looking at it, you guys have a lot of good returning players. You know, I'm seeing a lot of seniors and juniors on this list. Um, obviously, led by All-American corner Ifo Ekpre Olamu. You know, this is this is a tough defense that it's not going to be easy to put up yards on. Um, so tell me a little bit about some of the other playmakers on this defense outside of Ekpre Olamu. You know, you're, first of all, you're right. They're a very underrated group just because of the offense they play uh, opposite too. But uh, like you said, a lot of talented guys coming back. Uh, Ekpreolmu, kind of the headliner. He's another one that could have gone to the NFL. He decided to come back. Uh, meanwhile, you got some tough guys on on the front line there. Armstead, Balbucci, Buckner, all all pretty big guys. Especially Armstead. He's just a, a physical force. He's tough to deal with. Uh, Tony Washington kind of gets a lot of the, the headline names, I guess. He uh, 
he's one of those linebackers that, that really kind of takes command of this defense. And he's uh, certainly one of the most talented ones as well, along with Derek Malone. Uh, those two at the linebacking position, uh, really fun to watch. Malone, one of those guys that struggled a little bit last week with the tackling, uh, but for the most part, he's actually one of the team's leading tacklers uh, here in, in actually in most games. So we'll see how those two step up. I think the, the front seven is obviously going to be important, not to the secondary won't be with uh, with Connor Cook's ability to, to distribute it out in some of the receivers MSU has. But uh, to me, the key is that front seven, and especially – uh, after last week, I mean, there, there's a lot of sour taste in people's mouth. I think even after a 62-13 win over uh, Little South Dakota, I mean, this is a group that gave up 172 rushing yards, I believe, to South Dakota, 120 of those in the first half, and um, I think it was six yards per carry in that first half. And there's certainly some concern. I think part of that, from my perspective, was was just kind of coming out a little bit flat when you have a, an FCS team in the house and. I'm not too worried myself, but, uh, you know, it's something to watch this week. If they can't tackle, if they can't get to the ball fast enough, you know that MSU is going to have the speed and, and the talented guys to, to burn them for it. And so it's something to watch, especially at that linebacking position. I'm really watching Washington and Malone and seeing what they can do in case uh, that front three is not able to get it done, And uh, depending on how much MSU goes to the air. But they've had trouble stopping the run, and, and so it's going to be important for that front seven to step up, keep Langford quiet, keep Hill quiet, and if they can do that, it really opens things up for them. But when you go back to those games against Stanford last year, uh, Arizona last year, the other game they lost, they, they were burned by a heavy running attack. Both those teams ran the ball like crazy, and they ran it very well. And, I mean, credit to them for doing so, because when you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, and they found out both Arizona and Stanford did, and, Michigan State have success in the running game. I'd imagine the Spartans are going to stick to it as well because this group hasn't quite been able to stop a, a very talented running team yet, at least in the last couple of years. So uh, interesting to watch what the front seven will do and really curious to see how Langford and Hill perform out there. Yeah, definitely. In my, in my opinion, I think that's the, the biggest matchup of the game would be Oregon's defensive line against Michigan State's offensive line. Um Michigan State's offensive line, losing three starters from last year, but they were an incredibly deep rotation, so they have a lot of you know, experienced guys coming in. An injury last week to starting center and captain Travis Jackson. Uh, D'Antonio's always been pretty mum on injury, injuries and such, so it looks like he might be playing, but we, we can't really tell until, until game day um, whether or not he's going to be in there. And if he's not, True freshman Brian Allen will be starting there, and that's that's a tough first game to start for him at Oregon, second week of the season. Um, but if if Michigan State's front line can get a solid push, and if they can allow guys like Langford and Hill get out to that second level, I think that's where Michigan State will be most successful if they can establish the run early. And they're going to have to, because like we said, first of all, Oregon's offense works incredibly fast. And that heat is going to take a toll on Michigan State's defense more than anybody, I think, in this game. So it's going to be important for us to establish the run game and give them some rest because they're certainly going to need to catch a breather on the sidelines. You know, Michigan State can't afford to string a few three and out drives. You know, they need to have taxing four minute plus drives where hopefully they can get some points out of it, but at the very least, just give the defense a breather. And then although Cook and the receivers, this deep receiving group, it looks like they made huge strides. You know, they were looking a lot better towards the end of last season as well, pretty much night and day from the previous year. Um, you know, they, they're working well, but they work at their best, I believe, when Michigan State has already previously 
establish their run game earlier in the game. So that's going to be huge, I think. Whereas Oregon, I'm guessing, would come out on the air pretty early. Michigan State's going to be looking to pound green pound, just attack attack that front seven, as you mentioned, and try to establish that running game as they've seen other teams do in defeating Oregon in the past. So that's going to be huge. And it's going to be an interesting test because, like you said, your guys' front seven was a little bit disappointing last game. I think if if we had to nitpick on our side, the run game would be a little bit disappointing. You know, Langford only had about 57 yards. Granted, he got banged up a couple times and, and was taken out early. But, you know, the offensive line didn't really get that push that we're, we were used to seeing last season. And it was also against an FCS opponent. So they really need to come to play if they're going to be able to do what they need to do to get the W against this Oregon team because they're, they're going to need to be physical. Oregon certainly is going to be physical with this underrated defense you guys have. So that, that's going to be interesting to see for sure. Yeah, you're talking about just clock management too. I mean, that, that plays a lot into it. You want to go back to the Stanford loss, the Arizona loss last year. It was two cases where, where both those teams got up early and then were able to just bleed the clock. And a lot of that... You say is completely against what Oregon will do on offense. It's actually trying to save that clock as much as possible, so to say, indirectly by going one to two minute drives at a time. But uh, that's the thing. If you, especially if Michigan State can stake itself an early lead, the more clock they run, the better off they're going to be. Or, or conversely, if it's a close game, if they can try to keep uh, keep it away from the Ducks' offense, that's going to save them. So that'll be something to watch, and that's something Oregon has not been able to do at times against these power run teams is they've not been able to get off the field fast enough, and in many cases it's burned them. Not that it's been a lot of those cases later. They're a team that you know, only takes one or two losses a year, but something to watch for sure, especially you know late in the game if, if it's one of those drives where Michigan State's been trying to break a tie or uh, come you know take that go-ahead lead on a touchdown or whatever, that's something where they could easily bleed probably six, seven minutes and maybe set themselves up in better spots. So Clock management certainly not uh, an underrated thing to watch in this game because it, it could definitely play a big factor. And one more thing that I think goes along well with, with Michigan State's keys to success in this game, along with clock management, is a field position battle as well. Um, with, with a quick strike offense like Oregon's, if you're giving them good field position, it's just going to be that much faster. You know, If they have 50 yards to work with, they can get that in one play. You know, Whereas... It'll be a little bit tougher if they have 80, 85 yards of field to work with before they can see the end zone. So that's something that Michigan State was great with last season, you know, a little bit of a mixture between having such a great shutdown defense and a great punter in Mike Sadler. But on the other hand, they they haven't faced a team that has, I think, as good of a return game as Oregon does, you know. Um, I'm looking here, I'm seeing Ekpre Olamu is the punt returner. You know, obviously an incredibly talented guy, fast, pretty physical as well, so he's not going down hard. Um, how do you think that that's going to play into this game, the field position battle? It could certainly be a, a shifting thing. I'm not going to come and say that it will be the, the defining factor of the game. I think that a lot depends on kind of how things are going, but potentially, yeah, it could be a big uh, big situation. And then beyond Ifo Ekpreolamu, a couple other names that jump out, uh, really the the one that does after last week is Charles Nelson, another true freshman for this Oregon squad. He returned to punt 50 yards to the house uh, in pretty impressive fashion last week against South Dakota, and he's got some speed. Keenan Lowe, the other guys will return punts. Our receiver has some speed as well. And uh, conversely, I mean, the punting crew, they've got a redshirt freshman back there, I believe, or at least a walk-on first-year guy 
blanking on exactly what year he's in, but Ian Wheeler, the punter, his first year. So something to watch, too. You know, perhaps under the pressure, a shanked punt here or there could cost him something. Um, but he also can step up. There's a reason he has this job over uh, Matt Wogan, who was the punter last year. And so we'll see how he does. But, I mean, that that could easily shift momentum in this game. You get a shanked punt, set Michigan State up with field position, and suddenly it's a whole new game. But, yeah, as for the return game, you certainly want to watch out if you're MSU because – the Ducks in the past, there, there are a couple of games that come to mind where they have been in close games in you know, late second, early third quarter, and they've either turned a kickoff return into a touchdown or a punt return into a touchdown, and they cruise the rest of the way because that kind of thing, especially at home, can ignite this crowd here at Austin, and, and they're going to try to use that to their advantage where they can. Yeah, and certainly something that, that Michigan State won't be able to afford in this game, being underdogs going into a tough environment and just with the huge implications with – in terms of playoffs and and outside of that, even just the reputation of conferences, I guess that's more something that Michigan State has to worry with, with, with the Big Ten being kind of down right now. Um, something they just cannot afford is giving up big returns, and, and let alone return touchdowns would just be a back-breaking thing. So it's something that Michigan State certainly has to watch out for, and and they'll need to, to win the, the position battle like they, they normally do, but it'll be – They've never had a test like this, so that's that's just another thing that Spartans got to watch out for. Another thing they got to be kind of walking on eggshells about. So, man, a lot of interesting matchups. You know, it, it's going to be a fantastic game. I, for one, you know, I'm counting down the hours until tomorrow afternoon when that when that game kicks off. But really quickly here before we go, we got to get some score predictions. And I personally have been a little flip floppy on it. I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but but let's start with you. What do, what do you think the score of the game is going to be, and who do you think is going to come out the victor? I'd probably open the week with Michigan State on the right side of things. I think as this week has gone on, and I've kind of taken a little more time to analyze it. I've got the Ducks in a close one. I've got them winning 27-23. I'm a little bit shocked. I'm actually a lot bit shocked that. Uh, the line and the spread is so big in this one. I think it's 11 or 12 or whatever ended up going overnight. But uh, I'm just surprised that, that Vegas has it that spread out. Uh, I think Michigan State's going to give a competitive game. I think it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. And that's something, by the way, the Ducks don't do a lot. I mean, Marcus Mariota's typically gone after three quarters or early into the fourth. So if, they're, if they have to play four quarters, and you know that's going to add another dimension to this squad, especially with how fast they move. I mean, their guys are going to get tired. And then, uh, I think this could easily come down to that last drive or so, or it could come down to a late defensive stand, but I've got Oregon 27-23. You know, I'm I'm glad you brought up that whole fourth quarter aspect of things because I was kind of the opposite of you. Earlier in the early in this week, I I was thinking about picking Oregon. I was I was, you know, thinking about it. I was thinking, oh man, I think I have to, to pick Oregon in this. And then I, I looked at stuff and like you said, a lot of these guys aren't used to playing a full four quarter game. And I think that's something where towards the last five minutes of the game, six, seven minutes, something like that, and it's a close game, I think that falls into Michigan State's hands in terms of advantage-wise. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that's a very nitty-gritty team. They're used to grinding out games and stuff like that. So I'm going to go with a close one as well. I have to have to go with my Spartans on this one, 30-28 with Michigan State kicking a field goal in the last two minutes or so of the game and, and needing a, a big defensive stop on a last drive that Mariota and crew has to come out with the W. But, hey, I mean, anything can go. 
I, I like you, I'm pretty surprised that the line is is so high in terms of Oregon's favor. But, um, you know, it's going to be a fantastic game, and, and really anything can happen, and, and I won't be surprised to see either team come out with a win. I think that's a fair way to say it. I mean, like I said, the line is, is where it is. I'm not sure kind of where they got that line, but, uh, you know, it's going to be fun. I think sometimes in a game like this, you just throw the line aside and let these two teams play and, and duke it out, and obviously it means so much to them on a variety of levels, not only for their playoff positioning, but uh, just, you know, getting that early season uh, top 10 win. And I think at least, for, you know, both sides still have something to prove, I think, in the national line, at least on this Oregon side. They, I think they're ready to prove that they can finally beat a smash-mouth football team like Michigan State, like they haven't been able to do against Stanford in the past. And so, I mean, the Ducks want this. I know the Spartans want it as well. And that's just going to make for a great game. Austin's going to be rocking, and you add it all up, and it should be an absolute blast. Absolutely, and whichever team comes out with the win certainly will be looking to be on the inside track for that playoff discussion. Um, probably, you know, starting off the season with the best resume-building victory for when it comes to that the selection committee making their four decisions for who's going to be in the playoffs. So, certainly an exciting game. Everybody can't wait for it. You know, it should be fantastic. And hey, you know, we'll see what happens on Saturday. I guess that's what we'll have to do at this point, just let these two on the field and then duke it out. Absolutely. But, hey, Ryan, I appreciate you being on. Great conversation. You know, very enlightening for me personally hearing, hearing some of your opinions from, from Oregon's standpoint. Um, anything else you want? I'm just ready to see these two go. I think, like, you you and I, I think we can break it down all we want, but at some point these two teams just have to get on the field and play, and I think it's going to be an excellent game here tomorrow. Absolutely, man. Couldn't have said it better myself. Say so, hey, Ryan Roulard, sports director from KWVA. Thank you so much for being on, brother. It was a great show. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we're signing off here. Take it easy, East Lansing.